These days, the lines between a full-time homeschooler and a full-time brick-and-mortar student have been blurred during the pandemic. What is the parent's responsibility and what is the school's? Classical Christian Education asserts that it is the parents who ultimately have the biblical authority to train up their children. And this is captured in the often cited phrase in loco parentis, under the authority of the parent, who are for sure grateful these days for schools to partner with along the way. My guest today, Marlon Detweiler, has spent three decades in the classical Christian ed movement and has some practical insights on how to find our place as parents and teachers along the continuum between home and school, especially as we head into an uncertain start to the new school year ahead. And stay tuned at the end of this podcast today as we have a special bonus interview with a Basecamp Live listener, part of our Climber series, who shares her story and helpful insights on things that she's discovered in her home and with her family. All of this and more on this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, Marlon Detweiler, welcome to Basecamp Live. Glad to be here. I have I have been waiting for so long to finally get a chance to connect with you. You are an amazing individual in terms of 28 years in the classical Christian education world. That is no small feat. Well, thank you. You should probably tell my children that they don't think I'm that amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, for those who somehow don't know you in this movement, and we sometimes say it's a 40-year-old movement, so you're three decades in it, um, pretty significant role you and your wife, Laurie, have played and. Um, you know, everything from founding um, three schools from Veritas Academy in, t- in 96 and the Geneva School in Orlando in 93, and then the Veritas Scholars Academy, which we're going to talk about in 2006. And you guys have tens of thousands of people. I think the largest online school around the world, 50 countries. Um, it's unbelievable. And on top, if that wasn't enough, running Veritas Press with materials going all over the world. Um, and then you served on the National Board of the Association of Classical Christian Schools as a founding board member, initial chairman for two years. I don't know, Marlon, if, they, if we made baseball cards for classical Christian folks, you would definitely be one of the more desirable baseball cards to trade around. For... <laughs> well, just to clarify, the original board of the ACCS uh, was Tom Garfield from Logos School, okay. Tom Spencer from Logos School, Doug Wilson was ex officio, and I was the other board member. So there were three people that were official board members. One was ex officio. I think they made me chairman so they could keep all the votes. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, back us up 28 years. You and Laurie, a uh, young family, I guess, living in Florida, looking around for educational options. How in the world did this all get started? Great story. Uh, it's a long one. I'll try and be brief here for uh, these purposes. But my oldest son was in first grade. He's now almost 35 years old. And something weird happened at the school's private uh, prep school that he was at. And so it caused us to ask some questions. And a a dear friend, a man most people uh, listening will probably know, R.C. Sproul, encouraged us to read a book he had just read uh, called Recovering Lost Tools of Learning. We read it and we said, that's what we want for our kids. So we got the Sprouls and two other couples together on May 26, 1992 in our home. 
spent the first 10 minutes talking about whether or not to start a school and the rest of the night was planning the school start because it didn't take long for us to determine we needed to do it. And uh, exactly three months later, August 26th, the Geneva School was born with, I think, 38 students. Uh, wow. It was a hustle that summer. Well, that is a remarkable story and some key individuals. I, you know, my, my oldest, my daughter was born in Orlando. I lived, I've lived there three years and Geneva School is well-respected, growing, going strong on today. So you- They're doing great. I, I, it's been a couple of years since I've been there. Uh, I have contact with a few people yeah. that did and do work there, uh, but we're not very close at all anymore. So I don't keep my finger on the pulse of it. Sure. Easily. So what was the thing that really stood out to you early on in, when you kind of came across classical Christian? Again, this was pioneer days. What just did, what just sort of lit you up and said, this is different. We got to do it. There, there were a couple categories that were significant. One was the fact that in classical education, we felt like we didn't need to be afraid of approaching any topic or any content that because, um, uh, as is sometimes said, uh, there isn't one maverick molecule. Uh, God is sovereign over everything. But even addressing what Hitler wrote or what uh, Nietzsche wrote can be done in a way properly timed, properly supervised uh, by looking at it biblically and realizing. Uh, so it was not shying away from anything. It was the academic rigor. But more than anything else, it was, I think, the genius of Sayers really understanding that this trivium way of learning was a way that uh, made sense to us. It resonated with us. The grammar school kids were good memorizers and loved absorbing content. That middle schoolers or junior high year kids simply loved to argue, and we teach them to argue well at that time, that is teaching with the grain. And then as they got older, uh, they cared about how they were perceived and rhetoric became significant. So it was uh, that more than anything else. And then the fact that it could simply be a real academically rigorous Christian education. We wanted our kids to aspire to the ability that God had given them. And, and that seemed like it was just, we, we always felt like there has to be a better way than what we've seen. Yeah. And, and when we came upon it, we said, now we know. Uh, kind of the pearl of great price. You know, it, 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 I, I've frequently written and, and spoken to that idea that, that classical Christian education or classical education from a Christian worldview, as we like to say it, is the educational pearl of great price. It's worth everything. And once you've tasted and seen, you can't go back. I think that's the reality. Yeah, that's right. So you just mentioned an interesting statement that you often repeat, which is, you know, that that your main effort is to recover classical education from a Christian worldview. So what does that exactly mean? Well, part of the reason we like that phrase in certain contexts, rather than classical Christian education, is because it provides a little bit friendlier way for somebody new to it to understand it. Christian worldview discussion and thinking has been around a long time. So it says, okay, I understand what that means, but what do you mean by classical? It does. It takes one question partially away. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons we like the phrase. I, I don't want to overuse it. You know, it's yeah. tough to change uh, uh, monikers and, uh, uh, and uh, phrases. Uh, so we're not, we're not trying to be radical about this or unique. It's just sometimes it's more than a mouthful to say classical Christian education. So it's just a way of yeah. making it a little bit easier to uh, to chew it. 
Well, we talk a lot on the podcast about what is classical Christian education. Do you have sort of a, a like your elevator pitch? Somebody goes, what's this <laughs> thing? What is this classical Christian education? What well, do you say? Yeah, uh, Classical Christian education uh, has become a popular idea. So there are lots of people espousing lots of things. People get on board and try and make it what they want it to. Uh, but for us, it has always been an application of the trivium in a K-12 education uh, with a uh, uh, an additional emphasis uh, of uh, really learning uh, by absorbing and enjoying the great books. Yeah, uh, uh, It's not a given that the great books have to be part of a, a classical education, but we think it's a, a, an important part of it. Yeah, um, It's a matter of understanding uh, uh, phases uh, of education, recognizing that that's, a, in, in our belief anyway, how kids learn, uh, like I said earlier with the trivium and uh, and recognizing the value of Latin uh, as a foundation for language mastery, uh, logic for understanding uh, mastery of, of good and precise thinking, and rhetoric as a way of uh, taking what we've uh, learned from a knowledge standpoint, uh, from an argument standpoint, and putting it into effective uh, use in communication and application. Yeah, that's really good. Well, let's, let's jump into a kind of an area we were going to talk about in this podcast. And, you know, you and I reconnected, I uh, guess, gosh, was it in November um, at the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C.? And little would we have thought that uh, fast forward a few months, we'd be in the midst of a pandemic and the world would be an upside down place. And and every school would be sort of rethinking what this means to educate at home. So it's a lot that's yeah. happened fast. And so it, it, it is amazing what's happened in uh, uh, five months. So from the standpoint of, you know, your work with Veritas, um, the academy that you're running, it's been interesting because you guys, I, I think, I mean, Ver, Veritas Scholars Academy, you've, how many online, even before the pandemic, how many people were, were being educated around the world? Well, we have, uh, uh, this year we have 98 teachers. Next year we'll be well over 100. Uh, and they're uh, scattered throughout the world. Most are in the United States. Yeah. Uh, students, we have over 10,000 students taking uh, classes, whether they be live or through our self-paced offerings. Yeah. Um, and we're in roughly 50 countries. That is, a, that's remarkable. And and you guys have been doing this, what, 14 years? I mean, you started online education back right around the time Al Gore invented the internet. Wasn't that about the same time? <laughs> Al Gore was on our original board. I'm sure he was. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. Um, uh, we... 14 years ago, 15 years ago, really, we started realizing uh, that this was an opportunity uh, and we needed to take a look at it. We had uh, a teacher who, who wanted to do it with us. And so I said, I'm happy to do it. I've been thinking about it. I've been wanting to do it. And, and you're the right person to work with. And so we took a very conservative start to it. Uh, we had two sections. Uh, uh, of one, I think it was, it was either two sections of one class or one section of two classes, but we only had two sections total, filled them both, kept the student count low. Today we have 20 students in a class. Then yeah. for that first year, we only allowed 16 and we wanted to see how it would work. And it went so much better than I ever thought it could be. Online education blew me away in my first exposure, even after we were doing it. Because wow. I started, I committed to doing it before I experienced it, of course. And then we went a few months before I actually even yeah. observed a class. 
and it was remarkable what was happening. Well, you I know, couldn't believe how good it was. And that was back in the dial-up days too. I mean, it's amazing what you can pull <laughs> off today. Not quite. Not quite. I'm giving you a hard time. Well, what, so you know, as we think about the moment in time in which we're in, you know, if we backed up to probably the '80s, you know, we went from the 20th century from brick and mortar was kind of what school was. And then there was a movement on broad generalizations here, kind of in the early eighties or so of let's homeschooling became a little bit more uh, popular. And now we've got online being added into it. So the simple world of school is either a homeschool experience or it is a brick and mortar experience. This pandemic's completely scrambled all of that. And then you throw in this biblical idea of in loco parentis, we, the parents should never abdicate to anybody our child's education. So we're going to talk, I want, we're going to take a break in just a moment, but I want to kind of set up this idea that there's a continuum from maybe your child's in a brick and mortar school all the way to the other end that they're fully homeschooled. But in, in all of that, there's this interesting mix that's constantly happening. Is that, is that a good yeah. assessment of what's going I, on? I think so. I, I, I grew up um, uh, being educated in the public school system, uh, local uh, high school, and then uh, uh, state university. And it was clearly the case that my parents thought that education was handled by the schools. Now, uh, funny thing, my dad was a CPA and I was pretty good at math, maybe because of him. Uh, so one of the things I did for fun was had, uh, actually he did it to me, was he gave me long division, long multiplication problems before they're typically done. And so there were some things where my parents uh, were involved in my education uh, anyway, but for the most part, we were on this one end of the continuum where the school took care of things. Then you have, uh, beginning in the 60s and 70s, this radical group of, of homeschoolers that, that are really a bit separatist. Uh, they're a product of the 60s. It's probably not the 60s, it's actually the 70s. I, I actually just wrote an article on the history of homeschooling. I don't remember the detail. <laughs> but the... Uh, um, uh, whenever it was, it, it was parents that were products of the 60s that, that kind of were radical. That kind of got softened a little bit as the Christian community got involved in it. Uh, but they were generally people who said, not with my kid. I'm going to educate my kid. And HSLDA came along and, and uh, in 50 states made sure that they were protected legally to do that. Now what we see is growth into an area where it's very hard to find somebody that is entirely the school takes care of it or entirely uh, i'm going to do it myself uh there are all kinds of places and the idea of a continuum i think is a wonderful way to think about that where do we fall along this continuum from being a purist homeschooler with nobody helping us or a purist schooler with the school doing everything and we do yeah. nothing yeah because there's hardly anyone in either extreme anymore. Right. Well, in classical Christian schools, I mean, I can think of many of an open house I've led where we talk about, you know, in loco parentis. And we're going to, why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We'll explain what that phrase means and then get really specific about some practical ways that in your home you can either, <clears throat> you know, whether you're doing, again, the homeschool side of the continuum or the brick and mortar side, especially in these uh, shelter in place days and going into the summer, how can we? Uh, both supplement and complement what's going on in the lives of our children. So we'll take a quick break and come right back with Marlon Detweiler. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy Moment. 
So Keith, my wife and I have three children. They're all very different. I don't know how that happens. They come out no matter what we do the same. They all seem to be very different. And so when we looked at parenting practices, it seems like we'd have to kind of customize the the parenting uh, around each unique child. Is that a, is that a faulty logic or is that a good idea? Yeah. Well, actually, I think that's driven by uh, current pop psychology and culture. Well, you know where uh, I get my best ideas from. <laughs> <laughs> and quite a bit of that says uh, that we need to understand the uniqueness of each individual child to know how to parent them effectively. And it's also a very progressive, uh, progressive thought idea, the idea that there isn't a singular, singular transcendent objective truth mm-hmm. about raising children. And in, uh, in my experience, what I find is when parents look at their children, and good heavens, you have three, imagine the family that has five. Um, when parents look at who the child is first, rather than what's the standard of a healthy family first, they end up getting lost. And so what I do is I try to reverse that with parents and say, wait a minute, let's first identify what are the aspects of a healthy family? You know, what is the family identity in a sense? You and I've talked about that in the past. You know, what are the characteristics of being a healthy functioning individual? The place that the uniqueness of the child comes in is once you're going to apply that transcendent truth. So what does that look like? Well, I I think you can decide that it's important for our children to be um, uh, uh, contributors in the family. And so you realize, you know, all of our children need to contribute, need to do different things, whether it's chores or obligations or whatever. Where the uniqueness of the child may come in is how that's performed. Different children will perform different things differently. They may take to one task and enjoy it over another. And so you take into consideration in those children, gosh, you know, I need to know what's going to be harder for one, easier for the other, but I'm pretty much going to apply it to all of them. I'm going to require them all to be contributors, but I have to understand some things they're going to struggle with in one way versus what another child will struggle with. Yeah, because so much of our parenting is just, I mean, we're in a culture, we're all downstream of this hyper-individualism and we want them to be their best them and self-discovery and all these things that seem so affirming, but are actually undermining. Right, because in reality, what we want to teach our children is how to be a good member of the community. Mm. And the community they start in is the family. And so any community you're going to operate in to learn to operate healthy in it, you have to say, what are the rules of the community? And so when we can identify a healthy family environment, healthy family guidelines, rules, whatever, our job is to assimilate them to that community mm-hmm. rather than base everything on, on on their individualism. Yeah. And they may have individual likes or dislikes, but there's still standards of expectation. So that's to, to operate in a yeah. healthy community. And that actually is what sets them up to learn to operate in the next community. Yeah. Which is what we want when baby bird leaves the nest. They need to be able to fly. That's exactly right. All right. Thanks, Keith. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. Welcome back to Basecamp Live. Davey Zones on the line with Marlon Detweiler talking about this interesting thing we're calling the continuum. Sort of on one end is the uh, full in, uh, fully independent homeschooler. On the other end is the I drop my kids off and I have no idea what they're doing um, uh, outsourced mindset. And somewhere in the middle, I think it's this biblical idea that maybe uh, you've heard at an open house or the classical school that you're associated with talks about. Um, it's this phrase in loco parentis. And uh, I had somebody once ask me, Marlon, is that Spanish for like uh, the the parents are loco? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> 
No, it's a Latin phrase. I uh, figured it might be. Yeah. yeah. Tell us so what it means. Half of the parent. So if, if I'm delegating as a, as a parent, if I'm delegating uh, some of the responsibility of educating my children, I'm doing it with an understanding that I'm still the responsible person. So, so it's under the authority of the parent is what that yeah. phrase means. Okay. Yeah. And that has to be understood because if, if you're operating with a school institution on the basis of in loco parentis, you shouldn't understand that to mean you get to tell the school how to do things because uh, a cacophony of 300 voices doing that could be very hard to manage. <laughs> yeah. That's why a lot of, we need to be praying for our, our school leadership. Sometimes that's pretty intense. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we just have to recognize that, you know, there are three institutions ordained by God, the family, the church, and the state. And uh, we are firm believers that children fall into the sphere naturally, uh, I think, of the family. And so their education I think it follows is their education is our responsibility uh, and not, not the churches and not the States. Now that doesn't mean that they don't help. It means that ultimate responsibility falls on me as the father or the parent. What, what, what impact do you think this pandemic has had on parents sort of rediscovering that truth? (laughs) Well, anybody whose kid has been at a school uh, has been now called a homeschooler. And the fact of the matter is, uh, that's a bit uh, of a caricature of the truth. Just because my kid's at home doesn't mean I'm homeschooling them. Uh, there are schools, uh, uh, I'm familiar with a school that I understand is literally hand-delivering, uh, people making rounds, uh, lessons for the week. Uh, as the kids went home, they're taking taking lessons there, and, and, and the schools continue to function as well as they can. Uh, but uh, I think I've loved some of the memes that I've seen. Uh, first day homeschooling, uh, uh, the headmaster got fired and, and the kids got uh, um, uh, expelled. You know, like the students got expelled, kinds of things. It's, it, it's really kind of funny. But the, the fact of the matter is, uh, it has helped us realize um, that it is our responsibility to educate our kids. Uh, even if it's as simple as uh, you need to get on your computer because your class is starting uh, yeah. as a way of uh, managing that responsibility. And I think, you know, and, and every parent's different. And <clears throat> I've been, it's, I appreciate people have emailed me and just said, Hey, you know, we've done, we just did a series with Keith McCurdy on sort of going the distance and sort of the, just the, challenges of trying to adapt in the, into this new environment. And every family is different. Some, you know, both mom and dad have very demanding work schedules right there in the home and kids are trying to juggle and everybody's fighting for who's on Zoom next. I mean, it's very, it's a crazy moment in time we're in. But I, but what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, whether we're in a pandemic or not, there's always a reality that we have to be involved in the lives and uh, the education of our children. And that's well, never... Yeah, I, I mentioned, uh, we, we talked briefly just before the break about this continuum uh, and knowing our place on the continuum where we're comfortable, I think is a very important thing because it helps us make decisions about how we do execute on that responsibility of educating our children. You know, the idea of one extreme of that uh, continuum being the purest homeschooler seeking no help from anyone. The other is uh, uh, the purest schooler who simply says, 
I'm not educating my children, the school is, uh, that kind of thing. And, and frankly, there are very few people in either category. And so you find yourself along that continuum, maybe if you're starting the homeschool side of things, the first step might be, well, I'm buying curriculum, including some videos that are providing teaching. Uh, so I'm getting help from experts elsewhere. Uh, and then all the way to uh, my kids are in a, a diploma program of an online school or a step beyond that. Well, they're in a private school and that's where they go five days a week under normal circumstances. <laughs> but uh, I'm still involved in their education. I know what they're doing. I'm communicating with their teachers. I'm helping at home with homework. I'm asking questions and, and I'm involved. Yeah. So it, it's kind of that continuum that, that we see now uh, as opposed to an either or right. mindset. Well, and you know, my wife, Holly and, I, Holly and I talk a good bit about, we've got at this point, you know, oldest is off in college and although she's home now, which is kind of nice. And then I've got a, a senior who's weeks away from graduating and a sophomore. And obviously as they get into that, that rhetoric stage and they're more independent as they should be, it's sometimes harder to even kind of monitor and ask the questions and know what they're doing. I mean, so there's this, I mean, what advice practically do you have? I mean, I, well, again, I think that takeaway that I'm hearing, Marlon, is there's there's never a point to just abdicate or what I call, you know, I the outsource idea, drop your dry cleaning off at the dry cleaner, drop the car off for the oil change and drop the kid off for an education and pick them all back in the afternoon. That never should be in our minds. We're always to have some involvement. What does that look like? Yeah, well, I, well, I agree. The first thing, the first thing that I, that we started with, and it took us a little while to get into this, was as we thought about taking responsibility for it it was still quite clear to us. My wife is um, typically geared to the grammar school student. I'm typically geared to the secondary student. My wife is typically geared to the content-oriented disciplines of, of history and literature, and I'm more the abstract concepts of math and, uh, and uh, 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 things that are uh, driven by ideas. Uh, and, and so we're a pretty good mix when it comes to the ability to cover all the disciplines, all the subjects. But as we look at what we wanted for our kids, we had to realize we don't have enough to give them what we want them to give. Uh, and, and we feel like we're probably better situated to do that than most. So the first thing I would say is know where you need help uh, and know how you can find help and get it, but don't, don't get it by simply uh, absconding from the responsibility. It, it's, it's crucial to recognize that the difference between responsibility and execution, uh, that there is a difference there, that it's not uh, because I have responsibility, I have to do it. Right. I, I've heard that so many times and, and I just, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I don't see it as a biblical argument. I don't see it as a necessary argument. Yeah, that's good. Well, and, I, and again, I think to the extent we're willing to engage, I know I've had parents of the years literally leaning over the shoulder of their child saying, this is the education I didn't get. Can I read that too with you, please? I mean, so you can, you can, <laughs> there's certainly opportunity to dive right in if you want to go Any that far. I learned, I learned with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I got into, you know, I had the privilege uh, of uh, being the uh, uh, publisher of the omnibus curriculum, our great books curriculum, it's six volumes and it covers about 200 of the great books of Western civilization. And those volumes, uh, the books themselves, that is the textbooks 
average about 600 pages and I read every word and every six, every one of those six and I got exposed to a lot of great books. Now, what I haven't had the privilege of doing is reading all of those great books yet, but just the idea of being exposed to those ideas and the thinking and the interaction with them yeah. uh, has been a remarkable uh, part of my education, far more than I got uh, uh, in my formal education. Well, and I think for some of us as parents, and we've talked about this before in our podcast, is that if we're brutally honest, there's both a, this weird mix of maybe it's at the subconscious level of even being a little jealous, like, oh my goodness. Um, I remember George Grant saying in a podcast, I got ripped off in my education. Like that was his phrase. So there's that feeling of like, I really didn't get a great education compared to what I'm seeing. And then there's the other weird mix of kind of intimidation. Like, I don't think I really know what this is even about. And then they're in fourth grade. So how do we, yeah. again, how do we come alongside them in this continuum um, when maybe we don't even feel like we're we're even able to keep up? Well, we clearly uh, do ourselves a service and even more so our children by demonstrating a willingness to learn. Um, certainly, our children benefit from hearing us say, I didn't get that, but I want it and I want it for you. So I'm going to do it along with you at some level. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, and the, one of the most enjoyable points of feedback that we hear regularly is, I wish I could go back and get this education for myself. And they recognize that at some level they can, but at some level it's, you know, it's water under the bridge. They're not going to get it all, but they do what they yeah. can. Yeah. Well, let's look at kind of in the final few moments, kind of in, in this, again, this moment, we're making this recording kind of in the final uh, month of school uh, in whatever form it's currently in as school. And then summer's coming. And I think for some families, this is, um, it's, it's going to be challenging in, in, in the sense that, you know, a lot of summer camps aren't happening and what are we going to do in our home and how do we continue to engage our children? Um, we're going to ask that question to your wife, Laurie, who's going to be on part two, uh, which will be coming up next week. And, and I think she's got some good insights on that. But I'm, She, she yeah. is so practical. And people that are listening to this, I hope they'll take the time to listen to her because she will have some very clear, direct, and practical ways to um, take the education uh, further up and further in with their kids now and yeah. going forward because she is very practical. But the, you know, what we've tried to do at Veritas Press is – provide means to address people at any place along this continuum. So if you want to come uh, to Veritas, you can just buy curriculum from us, or you can buy curriculum and self-paced classes, or you can, okay, I can teach uh, my young ones how to read, but I can't teach algebra or algebra two. I need a live class and they'll take care of that for me all the way up to, I want a diploma. I want some help getting into colleges. I, I, I want those kinds of things. And we're trying to address all of those people. And, and it's been really, really cool to see that, yeah. especially in this context where people are looking for help at lots of different levels. So it, what would be a good starting place if, if you are, uh, if someone's listening and they're, you know, they're not currently, uh, tied in with Veritas Press and getting your resources, is there kind of a good starting spot or maybe even for, an adult kind of, we just talked about the sense of kind of the education they missed, or is there a, a course they could jump in on and maybe begin there or something they could do with their students this summer? We've, we, we, uh, sponsored and I participated in the, uh, uh, content of uh, a video that just introduces classical education. It's called, 
yeah, it's called um, an introduction to. This is about an introduction to classical Christian. Yeah, classical education. Yeah. I'm drawing well. Uh, the new old way. Oh, that's it, a good name. Okay. Uh, and so that would be a, a place if I want. I want to get a quick primer on classical education. Okay, that, that's a good starting point. Um, go to our website. There are lots of resources there. Uh, one of those resources, the ability to sign up for a free consult, we'll have somebody that will literally sit down with you virtually yep. and talk through your situation, find out what you're really looking for, and be able to help devise a plan, a program for how you can work with us to do what makes sense for you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that's a homeschooling family. Sometimes that's a family that wants to be part uh, full-time in our online school or anywhere in between. Uh, with schools, uh, that's uh, helping them design whatever they need help with. Uh, and uh, for people that are in schools, it can be supplemental aspects. There, there's a place for everybody within yeah. our organization that wants to take responsibility for educating their kids. That sounds good. And that's all at veritaspress.com. Is that the best place to go? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or call us if you have quite specific questions. Uh, we figured out a long time ago that a toll-free number was an easy way to connect with people, and we're happy to have them use it. Great. Well, that sounds really good, Marla. Well, it's so good talking to you. Um, if I do come across that um, the Classical Christian Hall of Fame card um, with your face on it, I will make sure I get an autograph on it because 28 yeah. years is a big oh, deal. So, yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the next decade going to look like? You got any predictions of where all this is going? I'll tell you what, that is a really interesting call. I, you know, lots of people want to talk about uh, the lasting impact uh, of the pandemic. And my experience tells me two years from now, we won't be operating much differently. Interesting. Than we were three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there may be a few things that change. Some people will say, oh, I can do this and they'll do it. But for the most part, uh, we have short memories. Yeah. Um, with regard to classical education, though, uh, I don't see its popularity or impact slowing down. And I'm very encouraged by that yeah. uh, because uh, it is uh, starting to, to hit the main in a very good way. Uh, the results are uncanny uh, and they're obvious when, when looked for uh, SAT scores, uh, job placements, uh, ability to uh, embrace the Christian faith and survive a secular college, lots of different places the data says it's working and working well. Well, that's super encouraging. And that's that's certainly what we're seeing. Fastest growing segment in the Christian edu education space, Classical Christian International, 50 countries you guys are connected and servicing. That is unbelievable, Marlon. Wonderful. <laughs> well, blessings to you. Look forward to having Laurie on next. We'll get her in to kind of unpack some practical things that families can do in the summer. That sounds great. She, so. she, she'll be good. Thank All you right. very much. Thank you so much, Marlon. Okay. That sounds great. Take care. Well, this is a special additional part of this episode of Basecamp Live, you know, part of the idea of, of the image of climbing up to the top of the mountain and raising the next generation is that we don't do it alone and we have others with us. We call this the Climbers Series. So I'm always grateful for listeners who take the time to email in and say, hey, I want to tell you my story. And from time to time, it, it's, it's even not only just an email, but it becomes a conversation. So I have Aaron Johnson on the line. Aaron, how are you? 
I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for reaching out to us. I sure appreciate your encouraging email. You guys are, you and your husband, Drew, are at the um, Stonehaven School there in Marietta, Georgia. That's right. Yeah, we've been a part of Stonehaven for just over a year now, finishing our first complete year and have been committed to classical education our entire uh, scholastic career. I love it. Well, you reached out to me. You said, hey, I'm enjoying these Keith McCurdy episodes. And, you know, every family is a little bit differently. So tell me kind of your situation, what you and your husband are dealing with, especially during this time of uh, being socially distanced in our homes. Right. Well, we own a business. We're small business owners. Um, We work together. It's a company that we have owned for the past 10 years. We're both very involved in the running of the business. And um, we also have four children, ages 8, 10, 12, and 13. So for us, we are not new to schooling at home. We did that for nine years prior to joining the Stonehaven School But um, coming back into this environment where we're both working very actively full time, in addition to having all four kids at home again, it's brought its own unique set of challenges and opportunities. And um, I wrote to you just saying, you know, that it would be great to talk about some best practices for those of us who are um, in dual working families and also trying to do school at home. That is that is a great reminder. You're right. There's no there's no ordinary. Everybody has their own world. And you guys, you said you had zero capacity when kind of between the hours of nine and two, because you've got so much else to juggle with work. It's not an easy, I don't know. And then you had time to email me, which is even more impressive with all of that. So thank you for doing that. So, well, Basecamp is a lifeline for many of well, us, so we're grateful for I'm you. I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's all that repelling gear we wear as we crawl up the mountain. So, well, share a few thoughts. You had some really wonderful practical suggestions for people. What, what's working for you in this very constrained amount of time that you have to deal with every day? Well, there are three big things that, as my husband and I talked and categorized best practices for dual working parents and parents with, you know, just some enormous responsibilities, whether it's work or a special needs child or um, aging parents that we have to care for. We all have different things that really take our time and our attention. And so for us, there's been three things that have helped enormously. Um, Number one is something that is not new for many of us that are, um, you know, in in a more corporate type of environment. And that's the concept of time blocking. Um, Time blocking means that you set aside specific times for specific activities. So rather than doing a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and kind of capturing these 20 minute segments, it's the idea of, you know what, I'm dedicating one hour or I'm dedicating a full two hours to this independent activity and I'm going to really sink deep into it before I move on to the next thing. Um, It allows us to be more effective as well as more efficient and really get some good things done. And I think that's incredibly important with schooling at home in addition to these other activities that we have on our plates because our kids need to know when we're available and when we're not. They need to know when they're going to get our attention. And we can say, okay, we're doing math during this time. And I'm going to really take this time to teach you math or to teach you new grammar or to edit your papers, you know, or, or whatever those things are that we need to tackle together for school. And then at the same time, we have the freedom then to go in and fully dive into the work that we have that's separate from school while they get some other things done. So that concept in particular has been enormous. And it's probably very freeing for your children to know, hey, this is the, t- we're doing literature from 10 to 11. This is when it's going to happen. And we don't have to stress trying to cram it in all around the edges. So 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, the second thing that we came up with is setting expectations. And, and again, that's not new for any of us. And I've even heard Keith McCurdy recently discuss this on the podcast, but the idea of, you know, really setting um, boundaries and setting expectations with our kids of, you know, this is when we're beginning school day. And, and this is when you absolutely cannot interrupt me because I have these phone calls. And this is when I'm not going to allow you to be interrupted because this time's going to be given to you, whether it's a family game time or, you know, times of fun or honestly helping out around the house, which I know Keith has talked about as well. So setting those expectations of the roles that we play in the family, the times that were available or not available and, you know, what you expect from them in terms of behavior and accountability is, um, it, 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 again, that's been really freeing. That's been a process, you know, that, that I, I think that a lot of us kind of realize the rhythms that fit our families well, but setting those expectations and holding each other to those, holding ourselves to those is also something that's been enormously helpful for us. Now that makes, it makes sense. And again, I guess having a measure of grace in the midst of it all, because as much as you plan, I mean, that's the, always the challenge with work and life is how do you, I think that's where some people plan and something blows up their perfect plan and they give up even having a plan. So you've got to have some flexibility with it, but. Absolutely. There has to be grace for everybody in the process because none of us have really done this before. Right. I mean, this is new for everybody. So recognizing that there will be great successes and great failures and giving each other grace and support along the way. No, that's really good. Good. Well, you had one more too. What was that? Good idea. Yeah, you know, the last one is, you know, what we realized early on um, within our family is that this time may be less about getting, you know, all these great grades and executing school perfectly and really, you know, seizing the moment of seeing um, how we can develop virtue in mm. our children. You know, it's, it's, it's the, um, the idea that the times that we have recaptured together as a family also give us greater insight into um, I'll, I'll call them opportunities for growth, right? Within ourselves and within our children, within our marriages, our families. Um, but I, I think especially for those of us that are committed to classical education, one of the things that draws us in and that we're committed to as families and as schools and as communities is the development of virtue. Um, and honestly, that's more important to me as a parent and as a Christian, then perfect math grades. So really staying committed to, okay, maybe this time um, or this week is going to be more about um, the uh, execution of habits and really training and developing my child in um, this particular virtue, whether it's, um, you know, compassion towards siblings or um, fortitude to, you know, really stick through something that's difficult and hard or, you know, commitment to excellence because, you know, as a, as, as a young child, I'm just not going to take messy handwriting, you know, so maybe, maybe it's those virtues that are more important than, um, the perfection of the execution and the grades. That's a great, it's, and it's so freeing to see it and be reminded of that. And that's certainly what our teachers understand is, you know, unlike, Somebody in, in the progressive modern education world, where it's see how many chapters or or uh, you know math problems we can jam through because that's really the purpose of education. It's far more it's far more alive and dimensional because it's every part of every day. So I think you're right, kind of redeeming the time throughout the day and seeing that that greater objective is a good reminder. So this is really right. good. 
Well, we are we are grateful for your reaching out, Aaron. It sounds like you guys are doing well, and you've got some great best practices that others will hopefully pick up on. But thanks for reaching out to us, and I do hope others will drop us an email, let us know where you're listening from, let us know perspectives and opinions that you've got. Um, super appreciative, Aaron, for your time today. Um, and anybody can reach out to us at info at basecamplive.com. Thanks so much. Thanks. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Basecamp Live. You know, the vision of this podcast is that it's meant to be a conversation. And I do a lot of the talking, but I would love to hear from you because I know that these episodes are inspiring to parents and teachers and really anyone who is interested in investing in the next generation. So I want to invite you right now to email info at basecamplive.com. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know any thoughts or comments you have. And I do want to say a special welcome to our many international subscribers who are all over the world. If you're not following us on social media, check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter at BasecampLive.com. I'm also traveling and visiting schools all around the country now, consulting, training, and connecting. Let me know where you are. I'd love to visit and bring the Basecamp Roadshow to your school. Blessings to you, and thanks for listening.